Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast, where our goal is to help you reclaim good practices for following Jesus. If we haven't met yet, my name is Tony and I'm your host. With over a decade in the local church, I care deeply and passionately about helping you connect with Jesus in practical ways. Today's episode is so good. Pastor J. Josh Smith wrote this brand new resource called the Titus 10. And what it is, it's, it's foundations for godly manhood. And here's what I love about it for everyone, not just men. What I love about it is that it really talks to what it means to be a man. It talks to what it means to live and be kind of that spiritual leader that God has called us to be. He's got a pastor's heart. He's got great theology. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation with Pastor Smith. And if you do, do me a favor, hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts. Leave a rating or review on iTunes or Spotify. And the highest compliment you can give us, share this episode with a friend. Maybe somebody who you know needs a little nudge in the godly manhood department. Guys, I'm so thankful for you. Now, without any further ado, here's my conversation with Pastor Josh Smith. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to have a pastor, author, and movement leader, Dr. Josh Smith. Uh, Josh, thank you so much for taking the time to be on the podcast today. Oh, I appreciate it. No one calls me doctor, but I appreciate you doing that. So that's nice. <laughs> you earned it, bro. That's something I'm here for. You put in the work. Oh, um, I would love, before we get started, because we're going to talk about um, godly manhood, and we're going to talk about yeah. your latest resource, um, the Titus 10. Um, but I think that it's important to start with something for the ladies in the sense sure. of like, why do they need to listen to a conversation on godly manhood? Why is it important? You've got four daughters, is that right? And one son. So yes. why is it important for your daughters to listen to a conversation like this? Oh, absolutely. So I've joked sometimes that I kind of wrote this for men, but I kind of wrote it because I've got four daughters and uh, like I'm super concerned about husbands someday and all of those kind of things. So that's a real thing for me. I mean, my wife uh, had a great dad. Uh, he's quoted a number of times in my book. I had a great dad. Um, her dad was really intentional with her. And so kind of getting into that family and seeing the way that he, I think I've received the benefit of a wife that had a strong dad. That's a huge deal. So I'm thankful for that. And I think her dad receives a lot of credit for how she ended up. And then too, you know, I just, I, I want my daughters to know what it looks like. What does a, what does a godly man look like? And what, what does she need to be looking for? And, you know, one of the things we're realizing now too is as this book has come out, women are buying it probably more than men, maybe even because wow. I think they're just giving it like, I need my son to have this. And so it, in the same way, it's important for me to be involved in a conversation about biblical womanhood, that's really important for me. Yeah. It's important for our ladies to be in conversations about biblical manhood. That's so good. Um, now, th this idea of biblical manhood is such a small part of your ministry. I ask love to kind of get a, a macro perspective on um, people's callings. So let me ask you this. Uh, you're a pastor, uh, been pastoring for a number of years. How would you describe the call that God has placed on your life? Sure. Uh, I, I love I loved to preach, but I, I see that's kind of my, my real passion. I love to preach, but I, I love to preach in that I love to lead people into the presence of God. I, I love to, we have a little phrase that we use a lot. Um, Steve Gaines is one who said it originally, but we don't plan services to attract people. We plan services to attract the presence of God. So I don't just love preaching. I love church and I love inviting people into an atmosphere where I feel like they'll meet God and encounter God and that that will become a, 
uh, a desire in them. It's kind of the John 7 that they'll get a little taste of it and they'll come thirsty for more. And they'll learn what it means to to enjoy real intimacy with Jesus Christ. So my staff jokes oftentimes, if I'm just given a blank slate, I'm going to do John 15 or John 7 or something about intimacy with Jesus Christ. Like I just... I, I say to our church all the time, I think if I can just get you to spend time with Jesus, you're going to love him. And I believe that. So that's that's really my heart. That's really well said. So you've been in the church game for a long time. You've been uh, uh, following Jesus for a long time. How, how do you keep your intimacy with the, the Lord fresh? I mean, it, it feels like if you're always trying to do it for others, it might be hard to maintain yeah. it on your own. And I, I love to hear people's personal disciplines. Sure. No, that's really important. I think uh, the, I tell our staff a lot of times the, the temperature. I, so I would say this for a man and his family, the temperature of his man of a man's heart will oftentimes determine the temperature of the home. Hmm. That's a general principle. I think the temperature of a pastor's heart is often determining the temperature of the church. Oh, wow. Uh, there's there. Um, that's not a, that's a general principle. Uh, you can take a fired up guy and put him in a cold church, right? That that happens. But I'm just saying over a long period of time, I believe the temperature of my heart has a greater effect on my church than almost anything. And so what I have to do is make sure my heart is is right with God. And so, you know, I'm consuming a lot of the word of God. I'm trying to spend time in just silence before the Lord. I, I really, I want to hear from the Lord. I want to not just... I mean, I want to hear his word, but I want that to mean something to my life. And I want to, I want to meditate on that. Um, I, I'm really big on the, the three things in, in Matthew chapter six, when Jesus says fasting, praying, and giving, those are three things that we know the Lord rewards. Uh, and the, probably the greatest reward is more of his presence, but there's other rewards too. So those three are big for me. Um, I, I really, I talk about those three a lot just because for some reason, Jesus brought up those three in specific ways uh, to get close to his heart and knowing that when we do it in secret, God rewards it. So, um, I mean, I could talk all day about this, but I, you know, I, I, my time with the Lord is, is, is really, I think the, it's just, it's, it, everything flows out of that. I just feel like I can't fake it very well. And so, yeah. Yeah, that's good. I, I, um, I also love to steal ideas and I'm, I'm curious <laughs> if you and your family do anything that maybe the rest of us could steal and make our own. Oh, that's, uh, that's a great question. So that's good because everything I've gotten, I've stolen. So uh, from everybody, uh, you know, I think for us, man, you know, obviously Deuteronomy six has been a big effect for us, but the way it's really influenced our life as a family, uh, we do some family devotions. Like we do we, in the morning before everybody has to be at the table at a certain time. I mean, I have kids, I have five kids ranging from almost 18 to six. Mm. So like our schedule is crazy. So if we're going to have time at the table, it's the morning. So every morning, except for one, when I'm actually teaching Titus 10, uh, the kids have to be at the table at a certain time. We're going through Psalm 119 right now. So I'm just reading a section of Psalm 119. We're having conversation about it. And so we do that. I just find at this stage in life, this idea that I used to love of, hey, we're going to gather everybody and we're going to have family worship and we're all going to sit by the fireplace. And that's great. This just in this stage is not happening very often. So we've really transitioned more into um, the kind of talking on the way, like the, the Deuteronomy 6, just uh, as we're going, Andrew and I just want at the overflow of our heart to be talking about the Lord. So I've, I've found this interesting transition because now I have almost three teenagers. 
And the parenting transition God's teaching me right now is out of the, you have to do this and you have to do this into, all right, let's talk about this. What do you think you need to do? And what would be the wise thing to do? And so having these conversations in which I'm leading them more towards wisdom and not answering the question for them, but trying to get them to think about what the Lord would have them to do in certain situations. So that's been a fun transition. I actually love that. Yeah, I've, I've got an almost 17-year-old, and uh, I'm learning that if I ask more questions than give statements, there's a lot more fruit in what we get to together versus just saying, you know, thus is the rule of the house kind of thing. Yeah. No, that's it. And often they'll get to where you wanted them to get. You just, by them getting there, you've, you've taken them so much further down the path. And the reality is, like when my daughter graduates from high school this year, she's got to learn how to do this without me in some ways. And so I want to teach her the way of wisdom in a sense. I, I think, you know, when anybody says, I hate that line, you know, well, kids didn't come with a manual. Yeah, that's the stupidest thing because uh, the whole Bible, but the book of Proverbs, I think specifically sure. helping lead our children in the way of wisdom. That's huge. I mean, it's a conversation between a father and a son. So, um, but helping them navigate how to make wise choices to me is the fun. I'm enjoying that right now. Uh, another question I love to ask uh, guys who have been walking with the Lord for a while is how do you discern God's voice? Like, how did you know that God was like, okay, Josh, I want you to write a book on godly manhood. I want you to take it from the super popular book of Titus. I'm just kidding. But uh, like, <laughs> you know, like how, how do you yeah. discern God's voice? Oh man, I can't believe you're asking this question because, um, I had a very specific plan for preaching in the next few weeks, and I'm interrupting that for one week this week to talk about how to hear from God. And I don't think you knew that. Like, No. Literally, I started writing that this morning. Oh, wow. Uh, on how to hear from God, because I just feel like I don't—my experience is—man, um, I just—my relationship with the Lord is really real to me. I, I just—I enjoy the Lord, and I enjoy reading and I, I love the way in which God leads me through Scripture, but also through the practical application from that Scripture and how God brings other people around. So, you know, my answer to that is um, a few things. First of all, it has to start with a relationship with Jesus. So obviously, I think John 10 is a great place. So relationship with Jesus, a surrendered heart. I think if you can come to the Lord saying, I'm going to do whatever you tell me to do. I'm not trying to get the answer I'm not trying to get confirmation from my answer as much as you telling me what to do. So I think a relationship, a surrendered heart, I think is a big deal. I think just tons of the Word of God. Mm. So the people that are in the Word of God a lot are hearing from God more. Um, um, so I think that's a big one. And then I just think the Spirit of God testifying with our spirit, you know, as Romans 8 talks about. So I think I'm reading the Word. And I can come to a passage that I've read a hundred times, but for some reason at this moment, it does something in me and answers maybe a question I have or gives me direction and guidance. But that's because the Spirit of God is working in that moment. So those are kind of my four things on hearing from God, like kind of prerequisites to hear from God, relationship and surrender and the Word of God and the Spirit of God. I think I really believe a person that is living in that realm, those things are real to them as much as we can in our flesh. Um those people hear from God. I think that God, God speaks in a real way. Now, my listeners would beat me if I didn't ask, where can they go to hear the sermon that you're going to preach this weekend, which will actually be <laughs> after this is released, but I'm sure people want to go back and listen. Where's the best place to, to catch this sermon at? 
So I'm at Prince Avenue Baptist Church, and that's pabc.org. So P Prince Avenue Baptist Church, pabc.org. I'm normally preaching through books of the Bible. That's my bread and butter. That's what I do. Right now in this season, I'm doing nine weeks on the presence of God from the Bible. I started that series with Genesis to Revelation, that the whole storyline of the Bible follows God's presence. Hmm. And then um, how we enjoy his presence, experience his presence, um, expand his presence. So that's this series, but I'm doing one right now on how if we're going to enjoy the presence of God and experience God, we have to know how to hear from God and we have to connect in that way. So that's love that. And that's, that's just God. Cause I had no idea that you're doing that this weekend and that's 10 30, 22. We'll link to that in the show notes. That's the weekend that he's preaching this message. I know I'm going to go listen to it because because uh, I think it might be from God for one of us, for uh, sure. That's awesome. Um, how, how did you know it was time to write a book on, on godly manhood? I, I You know, manhood, and, and I was a soldier for a long time and um, ministered to a lot of soldiers as a chaplain's assistant. And I, mm. I think manhood and just masculinity and as a whole has been really under attack how did you decide to like, okay, this is the topic that I'm going to go after in this season? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I've got to go back. I'll, I'll make it quick. But, uh, so 15 years ago, about 15, 16 years ago, first time pastors, like 32 years old, um, at a, a good church, but a smaller church and couldn't afford more staff, but needed more guys. And I was watching something happen. I had these charter members, like guys that were there when the church started and they were yeah. dying. And I wasn't seeing another generation coming in their place. And these were men like committed to the church. They would tell me all kinds of stories about the offering plate was passed on a Sunday morning. There wasn't enough to pay the pastor. So they'd get out their wallets and pay the pastor. So these kind of guys. And they were dying and I didn't see any more and I needed men. I needed help. And so honestly, I prayed through this for a while and I decided to take 10 minutes at a time for 10 weeks and take them through the book of Titus. That's 15 years ago. 10 minutes. And so, and there was, it had to be different age groups. So I had like guys in their eighties all the way down to their twenties. And the format was, we start, I talk about Titus, we discuss it. We walk straight through the text. And then the last 20 minutes, one guy a week has to give a story and just tell how he's doing. Mm. And I had never seen this before. I just tried it. I thought this is something I got to try this. And the Lord just started to bless it. And so over a period of time, I had taken 120 men, 10 at a time, through the book of Titus. Wow. It started out as being just exposition. Over the years, I started to see basically 10 foundations for manhood from the book of Titus. And I say from the book of Titus, some is from the context of Titus, some is from, I tell people this is not a commentary on Titus. I have that, but that's not what this is. This, right. is, <laughs> this is basically topics for manhood from Titus. But there's a reason. I mean, Titus and Paul's relationship is incredible. And mm. then the first thing Paul says to Titus is, I left you here in Crete to put what remains in order and you need to appoint elders. So the first thing Paul tells Titus is find good men. Yeah. And here's what they look like. And here's how they need to act at home. And here's how they need to act in the church. And here's how they need to act in the workplace, Titus 3. So to answer your question, I just started teaching this. A couple of years ago, I was thinking about doing more education. And a very good friend of mine said, I think that's a dumb idea. I think if you're going, if you're going to spend that much time with five kids in a church, you ought to write. And I'd already done a couple of things. Uh, my dissertation on preaching was published and I, uh, this Christ-centered exposition series, I co-authored one of those volumes. And so I'd done some things, but I just kind of pitched this out there and, you know, 
People wanted to do it, so they were excited about it. But it came out of, honestly, 15 years of immersing myself in this book with men. So that's a long time to be in small groups and to be in the in the practice of that. Um, it, you know, you basically have have walked with an entire generation. Um, w- one of the things that you talk about is the difference or the importance of having older and younger men in the same space. Right. Um, I'm wondering if you could kind of expound upon that and, and maybe talk to the person who's listening who who doesn't have someone in their life who's older who they can turn to, and, and how do we find that person? Yeah, this is a deep conviction for me. I mean, I think we see it in Titus 2, and we talk yeah. about that for women a lot because the older women and younger women need each other, but I, it's certainly true for the men as well. Um, I, I've had the privilege of, of being in churches, so I've only pastored, I pastored one church for 11 years, and now I'm in another church where I hope to die, so uh, not anytime soon, but eventually. And uh, I both of those churches have been multi-generational churches, when I first started this Titus 10 groups, I don't know why, but I felt like it needed to be different age groups. So it wasn't like I never advertised that I would pick guys. And what I would realize is this, a young guy would tell a story and he would talk about his struggles and he would talk about his uh, difficulties in a marriage or in the workplace. And what I realized is there was a guy over there, 60 years older, that had already done all of that. Mm. Like he knew the answers to that. And it happened to me in that first little session where a guy who I still remember his name, I knew his story and I heard this young guy communicating all of his struggles. And I remember just being able to say, Hey, you two need to get together. Uh, if you two could have a conversation together, then I think you could go a long way. So that kind of became a conviction. And I've just seen that over the years. And the way I do this now is I do larger groups teaching, but I, there are round tables of six to eight, and I, the diversity there makes a difference. So we're in a college town. I'm in Athens, Georgia. Tons of college students. When I can put our college student at a table with an older guy, that makes all the difference in the world. They love it. And so I think sometimes for the younger guys, like your question was, I feel like sometimes the impetus is on them to go find an older guy to talk to. I think sometimes an older guy is going to go, well, why would I think you would want to talk to me? So I think often when an older guy approaches a younger guy, it doesn't usually work. Like, hey, I'd like to mentor you. But when a younger guy approaches an older guy and say, I'd like for you to spend time with me, then that does work. And the way I say it, I talk about this in the book a little bit. Like, you don't have to be weird. Like, you don't have to go to an older guy and say, would you spend the next 18 months meeting with me? Man, invite a guy to lunch. Like, I tell our college guys that all the time. Like, find an old guy which I think I'm now in that category, find an old guy and invite him to lunch and buy his lunch. He'll probably buy yours. But um, so just doing something to initiate those kind of conversations is important. Hey guys, just pausing this conversation with Pastor Josh to remind you the Spirit and Truth Conference is coming up in just a couple of months. Now is the time to reserve your ticket. It'll be March 9th through 11th here in Beaver Creek, Ohio. We're so excited to have Kim Moss, Matt Reynolds, Maggie Ulmer, Emma Winchester, David Watson, so many incredible leaders, theologians, people who want to help you give fresh breath into your life with Christ. And because you're part of the Reclamation community, we have a discount code for you. If you go to spiritandtruth.life slash conference and register and on checkout use the code podcast, you'll save $30 off the already discounted registration fee. You're going to want to make sure you sign up for this conference. It's going to be so much fun. Can't wait to see you guys there. Now, let's finish up this conversation with Pastor Josh. 
Uh, my other question, 15 years of doing uh, a similar Bible study, the same kind of study. Um, yeah. What? How have you changed? <laughs> uh, nobody has asked me that question. It's a really good question. Um, I think I've deepened specifically how I've changed as I've done this class. It has probably more and more stirred up my passion for men. That was never like my thing. That wasn't going to be my thing that I was going to talk to men or whatever. But I just think the more I do it, the more I realize how much guys need it, how much guys are hungry for it. Um, and, and, and the difference it makes to invest in a, in a, in a man and what that can do to his family. And so I think it's given me a much deeper passion to do more of this. Um, it's funny. I, I'll get done sometimes teaching Titus 10 and all the guys are discussing because they have discussion questions after and I'll walk away and I'll say to the Lord, Lord, if you want me to spend the rest of my life doing this, I'll do it. Like sitting around talking to a bunch of guys about just loving Jesus and loving their wives and working hard at home, those kind of things. Like I could do that the rest of my life. So I think what's changed in me is just, I'm more and more passionate about investing in men than I ever have been before. That's not going down. That's going up. Do you think that the local church, and this is an unfair question to ask you, so I'm sorry in advance. (laughs) Do you you think that the local church um, has neglected men for for the last couple of decades, what what do you think happened that we stopped trying? And I'm not talking about like putting men in leadership because clearly that's still happening. But in the sense of like nurturing godly men, it just doesn't seem to be a a, a very attractive way to grow a church. And right. Yet scripture is clear that this is important. Where do you think we messed it up as the local church? And I've been a pastor in the local church for over a decade now myself, and I feel highly convicted about this often. (laughs) Uh, So let me say first, uh, since we encourage the women to listen, I think we haven't done a good job of doing this with the women either. So as a guy with four daughters, uh, but we're talking about men here, right? So let me just say, I think here's, here's what I think is the root issue. I think it's difficult for most pastors, and I, I think this is something the last few years the Lord has really encouraged in me, is to take a long-term approach to ministry. Yeah. So, you know, we're not as bad as college football coaches where we get one year to succeed or we're out. But at sure. the same time, there does they call in a new pastor. They're expecting something great. They're kind of expecting something quickly. And sometimes I think we really want to do things quickly. Investing in men is not the quick fix, but it's much more the long-term healthy fix. Yeah. So, you know, again, I spent 11 years in my last church. I, I invested in 120 men, 10 at a time through this. That wasn't quick. It took me a lot of years to do that. But as I look back, I think it was the most important thing I did. And the, the leadership that is still in that church today, I've been gone for five years, all I think but one of the people in leadership went through Titus 10. And that was mm. years ago. So I, I think part of the root is it's just not quick and it's not easy. And it doesn't seem like yeah. it bears a lot of fruit immediately. That's just discipleship, right? It, it's, it's really a long-term approach. Um, author by the name David Paulson wrote um, a bunch of stuff that helped me. But one thing he talks about, and I put this in the back of my book, direction over distance. Mm. So I, we love distance. Like how far can I get as a church? And I feel like the Lord has encouraged me like to say, just go in the right direction. Let me take care of the distance. And so investing in men to me 
is the right direction. I just let me develop some men over the next few years, and I think long term that's going to produce a lot of fruit. But it's hard. Yeah, and I think it takes way too much time. Right, and I, I think we we see Jesus with a fairly exclusive kind of approach to ministry that where he preached to the multitudes, but when he yeah. really invested in people, it was the 12 or the three. And I just, I don't know many churches in today's world that would be okay. If, if you're like, okay, Pastor Josh, you know, there's That's right. thousands of people coming uh, to Prince Avenue, but hey, I want you to only focus on 12. The, right. I, exactly. You'd be, you'd be out quick, real quick. Yeah, you would. Well, and I think too, there's even some models. I've, there's a lot in, in mission circles and it's moved to the States quite a bit as well. But like this rapidly multiplying disciples, like rapid yeah. multiplication. And I, I get it, but like nothing about that process is rapid. People have a lot of baggage. Men have a lot of baggage. Sure. And they've got a lot of issues with dad. Uh, they've got issues with mom. <laughs> they've got issues with something. They've Rich. got their own sexual baggage. There's just right. baggage. Um, yeah, I talk to guys a lot and they're like, I think I've, I think I've got a problem with my dad. And I'm like, well, tell me about your mom. I'm like, oh, that's the deal. That's it right there. <laughs> um, so it works on both sides, but I'm just saying like that process with Jesus, it wasn't quick multiplication and I'm not sure it was ever intended to be ministry is people Yeah. and it's not program, it's people. And that's just a really long, it's that Eugene Peterson. It's a long obedience in the same direction, right? Like I just got to keep doing the same thing for a long time. So um, in, in the book, you go through 10 different uh, chapters, 10 different parts of this letter. L- let me ask you this. Which one is the one that you enjoy the most? Like, which one is, the, you're like, this is the week. Here we go. You know, like, yeah. out, guns out. Let's go. Yeah, that's a, that's a tough question. Uh, I would say there's some doctrinal stuff that I love. Like, I have one chapter on doctrine, which all, yeah. what I'm doing is I'm saying, men, you guys need to develop your theological mind. I, the, so many men in our church are like the least theologically trained. So I love all that stuff. But I, honestly, the chapter on identity, mm. when I can start talking to a guy about the difference between identity and assignments, identity is who you are. Assignment is what you do. And if your assignment becomes your identity, so your job, your kids, and all of a sudden they're gone, all of a sudden you don't know who you are anymore. So I get really excited about helping guys develop a more core identity and who they are uh, as a follower of Jesus Christ. So that that to me that fires me up, and I think for that one, the reason I love it so much is I see the light come on. Yeah, guys starting to see. Wait, my assignment has been my identity, and man, that's a fragile place because assignments are fragile and they're changing. Identity is not fragile or changing, and so I love I love talking about that. One of the things, if I recall correctly, um, in that section is about this idea of, of uh, kind of like a curse of words and about how yeah. people speak over your identity. Uh, how how important is it to be intentional about the men that you're letting as a guy and women for women speak or, or maybe just older people speak over you? To, I, I wonder if you could kind of drill down on that a little bit. Yeah, so I tell a story in there about how uh, – a uh, pastor by the name of Tom Elliff came and visited my church one time and he preached on the curse of words. And I thought, well, that's a weird thing. And basically what he's talking about is all of us have these things that have been said over us at certain times in our life. And oftentimes they stick in our minds. They replay over and over. I tell some really powerful stories in the book about some guys that have had these happen to them and they don't even realize it. And so we have these, 
I mean, by curse, I mean it's it's kind of been a baggage that's that's yeah. kept us from being who God wants us to be. And so, um, so I think a lot of guys walk around with those. You know, there, there's something even to that little inner monologue of "I'm such an idiot," or you know, we we one of the things we say to our kids a lot is you you cannot make you are statements to your siblings. You can make you are being statements, meaning it is right and appropriate to say you are being annoying. Sure. But you cannot say you are annoying. That's different. Mm. And those you are statements define us. Mm. So we try to be careful at our house of you are statements. A lot of people have some you are statements that have really um, put some serious kind of ruts in their brain and, and they're affecting them. So we're, what we try to do is say, okay, what are those? And then those need to be replaced by blessing, which Ephesians 1 and other places, God is blessing us and we need other people around us who are giving the opposite of that. They're giving words of blessing. Uh, they're just, they're speaking truth over us. And that's not happening a lot. So that's even the way, to me, what's significant about about the Titus 10 is not just the content, but the, the context in which guys study it. So the way I do it now, I was doing 10 at a time. I can't do that at bigger church now. So I'm having guys sit around tables and I don't ever promote Titus 10. I invest in a group of guys and then those guys do the next group. So they then say, I'm going to lead a table. They pick six guys. So they already have a relationship with the guys at their table. And then hopefully we're cultivating a, a kind of a, a culture there where we're speaking life and blessing into these guys. Well, and that's, so, let me just say this. Like, yeah. I think the baptism of Jesus, the baptism of Jesus, yeah. like I talk about this in the book, but every kid wants to hear in some way what Jesus heard from his father in front of everyone. You're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You're mine. I accept you. Uh, you're my beloved. I love you. That's affirmation. Uh, and I'm pleased with you. Like, that's what everybody wants to hear. Every kid wants to hear, I love you. I'm glad you're mine. And I'm really proud of you. And that's what God the Father says to Jesus. Yeah. But most guys didn't get that. And there's 20 guys that just had to pull off on the side of the road. They started weeping immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Man, it's true. Like, that's what every kid needs to hear from their parents. And most guys, if, if a guy grew up, let's say with a girl, but we're talking about men. Yeah. If a guy grew up and he never heard that, I love you, I'm glad you're mine, and I'm proud of you, that leaves a lot of wounds. And that's the kind of stuff we want to heal and get a guy moving forward. So that's the chapter that gets you the most fired up. Of course, the flip side to that is, um, what's the one that brings you the most? I, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to say hard, because you've been teasing this long enough that n none of it's super hard. But what I am going to say is, What's the part that is the hardest for you personally, the most convicting chapter? Like when, it, when it comes to it, every every time that you teach it, you're like, all right, you got to have that self-talk moment. Okay, Josh, it's, it's, you got to surrender this to the Lord because you know you can't do it on your own. And like, what's the one that like, uh, and, and if I'm stepping too much on your toes, let me know. I don't want to. No, this is good. So, uh where we first started going, I'm going to take the easy way out first. The, the, the first chapter on dominion mm -hmm. is the hardest for me in that I feel like even saying, I tell the guys when I preach, I feel like a bunch of ladies are over me going, what are you talking about dominion for, you know? So, right. but it's really foundational. So that one to me always is hard. Um, but I, to be honest with you, this is going to sound strange because the whole context of this conversation is me writing a book about doing this. But the last chapter on investments yeah. is probably the most convicting because I end the book by saying, uh, 
here's how we make investments in people in the future and, and how we invest what God has given us into others. And that's a big theme in Titus. And um, I, I I think for me, um, yeah, that's just always hard. I love the I love the upfront stuff. When I'm getting into the one-on-one discipleship, that's always harder for me. It's just not natural for me. So I always feel like I'm preaching that chapter and I'm feeling convicted that I need to be making more than just a public investment, but more private investment in guys. And I do some of that. It's just all of us are wired differently. So my default is not, I can't wait to spend time with a couple of guys. I like the 10. I like the thousand. It's the one-on-one that's a little more difficult for me usually. So I, um, I, I have similar troubles, similar convictions. And so yeah. I'm, I'm in a season where I'm trying to tithe my week in disciple making relationships. Wow. That's a great word. Um, and, yeah. uh, and so I, I try to get four hours a week to, since I'm in the ministry, I can do two hours during yeah. my work day. And then I try to do yeah. two hours outside of my work day and wow. in pouring into guys because I'm so bad. I like, I can be so, um, I'm very relational, but I can, I'm so haphazard about it. I'm not very intentional. Right. And what we see in scripture and what we see in Titus is that intentionality, like, you know, Paul wrote the letter for a purpose. And, Very much. Um, and so that's the part for me that because I'm so relational, I, I really have to be lean on my intentional side in order to get to the fruit that I think that the Lord calls us to. So Sure. Well, I think that's why ministry is not a one-size-fits-all. I mean, guys have different gifts and dispositions, and some things are more challenging. But at the same time, I, you know— Ministering to the masses is great, but we've got to make sure that there's some personal investment we're making in a lot of people around us. So. How, how old is your son? So he's uh, six. He's about to be seven. So he was, that's a longer story, but um, yeah, it's kind of an amazing story. So when my- well, We got time. Wife, we're here. This is a long oh, well, okay. four podcast. Okay. We got plenty so of time. I had four, I had four daughters. The uh, youngest, this was in 2013. I had four daughters. The youngest was one, and my wife is diagnosed with stage four cancer. Oh, wow. uh, so she had a 11 centimeter tumor in her chest. She had a tumor in her liver. She had 600 hours of chemo, 26 rounds of radiation, um, four spinal taps to put, get chemo to her brain. So it's crazy. Went through all of that. She was, she was a champ. She did it, but we're exhausted. <laughs> and, uh, we get a dog cause we're done having kids and then find out we're having another kid, which was oh, like a massive. And then it's a boy. And I'm up reading my Bible one day and I'm reading Kings and it says, uh, never before or after was there a king like Josiah who followed the Lord with all his heart, soul and strength. And I thought, Josiah, that's a good name. He could inherit all of my monogrammed stuff. You know, if he had my same initials, <laughs> I thought, I wonder what the name Josiah means. And I looked it up and it means the Lord has healed. Hmm. So he's a little, um, testimony to the Lord's healing power. Matter of fact, the book's dedicated to him, but we often joke that all of the chemo and radiation went into to Andrea and made one superhero, and he's just like all over the place, but he's awesome. So, uh, when you think about Titus ten and your son, um, do you think? And, and this is kind of a I'm going to go abstract here for a second. Do yeah. you think that? Um, do you think that you'll teach it to him, or do you think that one of the guys that you've taught Titus ten will teach it to him? How, what What's kind of the role in? parenting versus disciple making when it comes to men, because I'm not sure that I could have heard the stuff from my father, who's a great man, but that I heard from my spiritual father, who was the guy who discipled me. Talk to us a little bit about that. um, Man, 
Totally agree with that. So I think obviously that we talked about that blessing of your children and, and all of that. There's something I can give my son that no one else can give him. Absolutely. And there's things that other men can give him that I can't give him. And so when I think about uh, just my own spiritual journey and my dad doing what he needed to do, but the amount of men that poured into me that said things to me that I would have never listened if my dad probably did say them to me. I just didn't hear them. Right. So I, I think it's a big deal for my daughters to have a, a lady, not my wife, investing in them and my son to have some guys investing in him. So I think, honestly, when you say that, I would love to be teaching Titus 10 and seeing him at a table with six other guys and discussing it and and uh, and talking about it without me at the table because he's going to say stuff there he wouldn't say in front of me probably. Uh, I'm wondering if you could talk to the man um, or the woman who doesn't have a father figure in their life, yeah. right? And, and they yeah. feel like they have no basis for even where to start. Um, yeah. can, can you give them kind of just a, a message of hope uh, or, sure. or just, you know, some words for them about how maybe um, a resource like this could impact their generational um lineage. Yeah. I love that. Well, I think, so first of all, I would say it has to start somewhere, right? So some man in our family started it. So start number two, God has given you a real gift of a church. Well, you need a church. If you don't have a church, the church, I, I make a little case in this book that I almost took out. Uh, I'm glad you didn't. In, in some ways the, the church has a great, a greater priority than the family, not even as much as time, but in terms of in eternity, my nuclear family will not exist, but the family of God's going to exist forever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bride of Christ has higher priority. And so all of that. So I would just say what was lacking and missing in your life from a man in the home, God created a church to give you that. And the whole book of Titus was written to this church. And this is hugely significant where everybody was a first generation Christian. So Paul left Titus in Crete, and he said, go here and fix this thing. And this was all first-generation believers. So every elder he put in place, every pastor he put in place was going to be a first-generation believer. So it started somewhere, and it has to start. So there's a lot of hope in that a legacy starts somewhere for a family. God has given you a church to help you meet some men who will invest in you. And if you're in a church that doesn't have those men, you may need to find a church that does. And you got to pursue that. I think a young guy has to pursue that. We talked about that, but just there's a lot of hope. It's got to start somewhere. I have a picture. I'm looking at it. I can look over my computer and look at it. There's a picture of a really old guy. It's a black and white photo. It's really, really old. It was four generations ago. The first guy in our family that gave his life to Christ on a train when his wife was dying. And uh, his last, his wife's dying wish was give your life to Jesus. He did. And I'm fourth generation preacher on both sides of my family after that. So somebody's got to start it. Wow. Yeah. That's so good. That's so good. Okay. I have uh, one one more question for you, uh, but before I ask it, I know that my listeners are going to want to get connected to you all over the interwebs. We've already linked to pabc.org so they can listen to the message, but uh, where are all the things, where can they go to find all things Josh Smith? Yeah. So, well, there's, there's Josh Smith. Uh, because he has five kids and a church, does not do a lot of things online. So I, have I did notice that. I did notice yes, that, Pastor. I did notice that. It's funny because when, when they start first talking about like publicizing your book, they're like, we need all of your media stuff. I'm like, ah, sorry. 
so for the health of my own soul, uh, I still have a Twitter account, which is out there. Uh, it's just J. Josh Smith. I don't have anything else. I have no Instagram, Facebook, anything. Um, all of our sermons and archives are on our website at pabc.org. Uh, the Titus 10, uh, and that's the Titus, but 10 is 10.com. Has a bunch of resources for the book of Titus. Has yeah. discussion questions. Has a couple of videos on how I use the book and all that kind of stuff. Um, and like I said, I've got a couple of other books out and stuff. But man, everything about this is good and fun. But a few years ago, when I moved here to Athens, I felt like the way the Lord was really leading me is, Josh, you take care. You love your family. Love your local church. And if no one else ever knows you exist, that's okay. So that's. Uh, kind of part of the work that God's done in my life. And if God wants to do something with this book, that's great. I pray he uses it. I want the, I want it to be used a lot by the local church. It was written for the church, particularly yeah. for pastors and any guy in the church. But um, so because of that, I, yeah, I'm not out there as much. Praise God. No, that's good. <laughs> that's real good. Uh, okay, last question I always love to ask people. It's an advice question. I'm going to ask you to go back and give yourself one piece of advice, but I get to name the time and day. Okay. I want to take you back to the conclusion of your very first Titus 10 meeting. All the guys from your very first church just left the meeting. You're feeling excited but unsure about what's going to happen next. If you could pull up a chair in front of that young man, look him in the eyes, hold his hands. Yeah. What's the one piece of advice you're going to give him? I've never been asked this question, but I have an immediate answer. I would look at him and say, this was not worthless. Mm. Um, I think where I was feeling probably at the end of that Titus 10 is, did this do anything? This was a lot of early mornings for a lot of weeks. And what I didn't know then is 10 years from then, I would leave that church and men would come and hug me at my reception and they would cry. This is no joke. And they would say, thank you for that. And so I think I would say, hey, just keep doing this relax. And there's some long-term fruit here uh, that you may never see, but it's it's bearing fruit. And I, I think that's what God's taught me from doing this for so long, that, man, if you'll just make some investment, some foundational investment over the long period of time, and you can be okay with that, it's going to bear a lot of fruit. So I wish I would have known back then. I had less angst and frustration to produce things quickly. Amen. Uh, Pastor, thank you so much for being so generous with your time today. Thank you for your heart for the local church and for disciple making. Um, I'm really thankful for our our dialogue today. And I want you to know that I'd love to support you in any future way that I can, whether it be this book or the next book or whatever. Whatever we can do to stay connected, let's do it. Well, not all interviews are the same. This has been a super blessing, man. This has been super encouraging. Thank you. And it is amazing how God led our conversations and some of the questions you asked. These were great questions. And um, and anyway, you know, you talked about getting a hold of me. Like if you contact me through the church, if there's any pastor out there or yeah. men's leader that wants to know how to do this more, call me, email me, whatever. I'll, I'll talk to you. I would love to talk more about this, but thanks for this time. This has been a blessing. Guys, I just love his heart. I love the way he talks about godly manhood. I love the way that this, um, has been proven over time. It's not very often you see a book that kind of been formed over years and years and years of practical application by the author. So do me a favor, follow Pastor Josh on Twitter. Uh, Let him know that you heard him here on the Reclamation Podcast. And guys, we're so thankful for each and every one of you. Can't wait to connect with you later this week in a monologue episode. And remember, guys, if you want to follow Jesus, 
you must be willing to move.